Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to another broadcast of In the Trenches. Today, I sit down with Dan Cushell, who's a father, a thought leader, humanitarian, angel investor, and someone who started many companies and built them to many multiple millions of dollars over the course of his life. And now he spends quite a bit of his time coaching and consulting with entrepreneurs and business owners to help them grow and scale their companies. In today's episode, we talk about things like how Dan got a start by selling leads to clubs. We talk about direct response marketing and how it can be used today, how to create an irresistible offer and why you need to, how Dan actually structured his pricing for leads to make it a win-win for him and the companies that were buying those leads, and why being good has nothing to do with how you get paid, but why messaging is fundamentally the most important thing. So my big takeaways from today's conversation, the first is you want to get really clear on the numbers. Don't just follow what somebody else is doing. They might, may look like they're doing things right on the outside, but you don't know what those numbers look like on the inside. Do the number crunching yourself. Do that hard market research and figure out what it'll cost to produce whatever you're selling, what it'll cost to market, and then to sell it. And then make sure you have a, a nice margin in there so you can get a clear ROI for the work you're doing. And the second thing is to make sure you write out your offer and actually get it out there into the world. So if you were stuck in the start phase, I would say that's the place to start. Write out whatever your messaging is for your offer and then send it out to people you think will buy, your target audience. Then what you want to do is actually gauge the response, make some tweaks, edits, or changes, send out to a new group of a similar audience, and then gauge that response and keep going. So that's like direct response. But in the digital space, it's really easy to do. You can do it with email. You can do it with social media. So there's a lot of ways you can test your messaging. But the point is actually put it out there and gauge the response based on how many people click, engage, buy, and then continue to adjust, optimize, and essentially just keep going. So that's my takeaway for today. And you're going to get a lot out of this conversation, I think. Dan's definitely one of the people I respect quite a bit. Very smart, very insightful. And there's a lot of nuance to this conversation. So without further ado, let's get to it. So Dan, the way I want to kick it off is, can you give us a little bit of your background in direct response marketing, how you actually got into that game in the 80s, and then a little bit about your transition to today and a lot of the digital marketing that you do? Absolutely. So uh, now, you, now you're aging me. I feel like grandpa here, right? So, uh, <laughs> so my sister actually introduced me to uh, a direct response company in the late 80s while I was in college. And uh, you know, my dream as a kid was actually to play pro baseball. I grew up in the inner city of Detroit. I truly thought that baseball was going to be my way out of the city. And, you know, injuries, probably lack of talent, kept that from really becoming a reality. And, you know, while I was going to college, though, she introduced me to this company that, you know, did direct mail for these health clubs. And, Tom, what happened for me is I got started in this company. And, you know, I was so fascinated how you could take a mailer send it out to people who didn't know you, and then they would actually respond and pay you money. So literally we'd send out these campaigns and it would have a call to action, you know, with a 1-800 number in it. Back then we were, there was no real web stuff going on, but literally we would get huge responses, hundreds and hundreds of calls a day of people responding to the 800 number in these mailers and paying to get these memberships. It was in, in crazy. And so for me, I got so curious, insatiably curious. In fact, probably my family would say I was obsessed with learning this psychology. And so I, I started taking a deep dive and diving into you know all the books I could get my hands on at the time and people like Tom Hopkins and Tony Robbins and, and the list goes on and on. And that was my start. And then fast forward a few years in 1992, 
I started my very first company in a similar niche of health clubs where we did direct mail and we did direct response in TV, radio for these health clubs. So imagine if you were the club, Tom, and this is a great lesson for as you're listening right now, one of the most important lessons I learned is when you go out with your product or services, have an irresistible offer, come up with that irresistible offer, be bold. And I know, Tom, you talk about that, you know, on your show and on your blog, you've got to be epic and bold, right? And so I would go out to club owners, like if you owned a club, I would come to you and go, hey, Tom, you know, if we could guarantee you that we'd help you generate a couple hundred new clients in the next 90 days or less, and it won't cost you anything out of pocket. My company will run TV for you, radio for you, and direct mail. And my company will foot the risk up front. And then when and if we profit, then we'll split the profit of those sales on the back end. Would you be open to that idea? Well, that was my start all the way back in 1992. You know, we got started. We had some you know, success. We also added some things in there. We were doing assessments where not only did we, you know, the old adage, you know, feed a man a fish, you feed him for a day teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. So our model incorporated both the feed a fish, which brought direct sales, and then we taught to fish and we would leave them essentially a blueprint for them to train and have an ongoing training system for their team all the way back then. Fast forward to today, I'm you know really fortunate, Tom, that I get to work with a lot of great clients who you know, are making a big impact. And what we do is we help business owners or entrepreneurs who are playing a big game go out and implement unique business sales and marketing systems so that they can grow and scale their business. More importantly, scale their impact, their ability to have a greater influence, a greater reach and greater contribution. It's a lot of fun. Some of my recent clients, you know, over the last few years, you know, Joe Polish, Genius Network, Dean Graziosi, to name a few. So it's a lot of fun. I get to, you know, work with some of the coolest people around. So since this is, you know, obviously a bit ago, and I feel like that industry has changed a lot right? From when you first started, I assume they're still around like these kind of clubs. I, I mean, I know they are, but probably not as widespread as they were before. So part of it was just that at the time that was like the thing, there was demand for it. And you were able to kind of funnel that demand into new sales for them. And you did it without having them to spend any money out of pocket. So I'm just curious if you can kind of deconstruct that a little bit. I think there's a lot of lessons here that actually could be applied today to different industries. Oh yeah. My number one question I guess would be like, how did you work out like the structure for revenue share or however you guys kind of structured it? Because I wonder like what was their profit margin and how did you kind of get to that point where it felt like a win-win for both parties? Yeah. So, you know, it's a great question. And, you know, a few of the lessons that, that number one, it does apply today, probably even more than ever, right? With some twists, the strategy certainly applies today. Like I used to think, Tom, I don't know if you've run into this, right? With your experience, you know, coming out of the army, but I used to like see these people or these companies or these experts who were so incredibly talented, but then they'd struggle. And it was like interesting to me. And I think I first learned this from Gary Halbert, you know, Joe Polish repeats this quite a bit today. And, you know, I also parrot this idea as well, which is, you know, most people think that there's a correlation between being good and getting paid in business. And there is no correlation between being good and getting paid, right? The people that are the most successful are the ones who are better at their messaging at the end of the day. Like, you know, for example, as you're listening right now, you know, if you can picture or imagine 
a $1 bill in your hand or in front of you. And then picture or imagine a $100 bill in your hand or right in front of you. Now, if you can picture those two bills, well, in fact, if you put them on top of each other, what you'll find are some interesting things. Number one, are they the same size? Yes. Are they the same weight? Yes. Do they have the same color ink? Yes. Right? They're very similar. The only difference between a $1 bill and a $100 bill is simply the message on the paper. What determines the difference between your business and your competitor's business is your ability to better convey your message to the end user or client. So going all the way back then, Tom, to, to your direct question, you know how we figured some of this out. Now, first of all, I had a great learning platform because I was in this direct response company for a couple of years while I was going to school. So I got to learn a lot of behind the scenes. I learned every aspect. I mean, I, I rose through the company and became, I think, I don't know, um, vice president or president of some division or two in the company. So I got to see a lot of different aspects of it from, you know, like one of the big things in direct marketing is list or client selection, right? A lot of times when we go out, we think, oh, I need to speak to everybody. And we, again, there was no internet at this time that we were leveraging. It was direct to an end user. And we would go to list brokers and we would go to list selectors that were very specific on income and demographics and, you know, interest groups, et cetera, which today's technology allows us to do this very easily today. Like you can do this in Facebook so easily. That's why, why for some of the skilled psychologists in the world in direct marketing who really understand this, it can be, you know, just a great platform today versus back then where we were doing a lot of this manually. So list selection being one now come into the direct question of like these defining like splits and ratios and that sort of thing. Great lesson to learn, which I learned the hard way. You know, Tom, I've started 11 or 12 companies in my career bootstrapped and, you know, a handful of them have done well, eight, eight figure plus companies, a couple seven figure company, but I've buried three companies, truth be told in my backyard, right? <laughs> which which means I've had some had some failures. And one of the big reasons is because I didn't understand the numbers, right? And so the number one responsibility running a business is to look at your business model and start with how do we actually profit here, right? Which is kind of a, a question, an underlying thing that you address there. So how do I profit? So like what we did and part of this, I modeled from, you know, one of Tony Robbins principles, which is find someone who has the results you want, do what they do, and you can get what they've got. Or he calls it matching and modeling or mirroring. And you can do that in business. The problem is with a lot of business, and I found this the hard way too, like maybe as you're listening, you found, is that if you model businesses that are unsuccessful, you'll likely follow that path of being unsuccessful. The problem is you don't know if you're following a business that's unsuccessful. If you model a business who on the surface that looks, you know, the tip of their iceberg looks awesome. They look awesome. But deep down, you know, that business may be losing a boatload of money or have other motives that you're just not fully aware of. It's like, you know, the, the roots under the ground of a tree or, or the iceberg underneath the water that you don't see. So, so I would say you got to start with numbers we did our research and we knew that if like you were a business owner uh, in the health club niche, if you tried to go out and create your own TV commercial from scratch, buy your own media from scratch, we had a rough range of a retail rate that we knew 
that you would be within. We did the same with radio time and in all these different markets we would work in. And then we did the same thing if you were starting from scratch, what it would cost you to do this with your direct mail. We would front the risk up front, but then we would basically mark up the rate of each of these areas. And then we had labor costs on top of it. And then many times we'd fly to a city and we'd have two of our team staying at a hotel. So there were those kind of fees. Then we'd actually bring phone lines separate because we needed a way to track this stuff because I don't, you know, we don't like mixing. I believe in tracking to the letter of what is the impact you're having, right? Today you can do this with, you know, URLs and tracking links and different things. Back then we did it with phone numbers and literally physical phone lines, right? We even brought our own merchant account into the facility so that when we process sales, there was no chance of it mixing over into their sales and then it being convoluted. And I'm giving you the fast forward version, but it was understanding those numbers going in and then identifying, and that was part of the client selection of the 10 clients that we would go to with that irresistible offer. Tom, what would happen is about seven out of 10 roughly would say, yes, I'm interested in learning more. Then we'd take a deeper dive. Once we had the people who said yes, our company would take a deeper dive and research those clients and their markets to make sure for our side of things that it was the right client, right? You know, there's that old uh, Allstate commercial that says, you know, most people don't, they don't plan to fail, they fail to plan, right? And so a lot of what we do in business done right with client selection is a research project, right? Making sure that you can make the numbers work, not just taking anybody just because they fog a mirror, (laughs) right? If that makes sense. So what we would do is we would work the numbers backwards of the seven that would say yes. We ultimately would choose three of the seven that would fit our criteria. And then of the three of seven that we would ultimately do our grand proposal to, two of three would typically be clients, right? So it was a process. We didn't rush the process, just like there's that old adage, hire, slow, fire, fast. We took that approach with our clients. And by the way, it's not a perfect science. And sometimes we got it wrong too, which meant we were out of pocket many times with clients. We upfront, we would be out of pocket somewhere between 20 and 40 grand getting started. If we made the wrong selection, you know, and we were working sometimes two and three markets at a time that was a pretty significant risk and a lot of moving parts going at one time. So, uh, we had to know the numbers as well as we could going in. And I, you know, I recommend as you're listening right now, running your businesses, you know, look at, you know, I think Mike Michalowicz has a great book called profit first, and it's a great book for any business. And it's very simple, easy to understand about the idea that as the business owner, figure out what you need to do, what you need to make, what you need to generate to profit in your business first, then work the numbers backwards from there. And that helps you create a more sustainable business. So those are a couple of key points. Yeah, that's interesting. And so for this, the way you guys modeled it, the big thing was actually just who you were actually going to work with and being really selective about that. So when you developed your criteria, it sounds like maybe there were different types of clubs that you could have worked with. How did you whittle that down? Like what was the criteria that you looked for that you were like, these are the kind of people we'd want to work with because of X, Y, or Z, whatever those reasons were. Yeah. So just a few. And again, I think, you know, as I share the story of this, it probably gives you as you're listening a way to view it for what you do. In our model, we talk about three parts to a successful, you know, business. 
and there's more than three, but the three key components. So one of them is we call the category of one, you know, overall. And my business partner, Jimmy Harding, he has this, uh, you know, framework called the SOS framework, which stands for solve one problem, offer one solution and serve one market. Right. And so as you are listening right now, think about what I'm going to share with you as it relates to your business. So what we did, Tom, we would eliminate those clubs that were multi-franchise ease. We would eliminate, like, we'll call it the big box health clubs. So the clubs that we focused in, they were in certain markets with certain, you know, population areas around them, right? The city size, but as importantly, they needed to be an independent owner. So they wouldn't have multiple franchises, but they would be a single unit owned operation in a city with a strong population and surrounding. And then on top of that, they needed to have some attached media for TV and radio locally <laughs> at this time. Now, keep in mind, this is all the way back in the 90s, right? Early 90s. So, you know, it wasn't as grand scale, the media, the, you know, radio, TV, you know, back then there weren't as many channels, you know, not as much cable, right? It was still kind of new uh, and popular. So the good part we had going for us back then is we could get rates in some markets very inexpensive, even major, major markets, right? LA, I remember buying TV time in LA for one of our clubs in San Gabriel, California. And I mean, we were spending, you know, a couple hundred dollars for, you know, 60 second TV. I mean, you, you couldn't get that in LA today. <laughs> it's just not possible. We were doing trade, if you can believe this, for some major radio in LA, right? With trade. And so we would work deals where we'd, you know, trade out memberships. We would trade out some, you know, between hotels and the, the fitness centers, we would work out packages where we could give those as gifts on air gifts and give them to their team. And so we would many times get airings for comp or half rate or court, you know, a quarter rate because we would do these package deals. So I think because of my upbringing in this whole direct marketing space, it taught me, Tom, about negotiating. It taught me how to, you know, think differently, look at things from a whole perspective to create opportunities. You know, there's a great misquote that, you know, business owners solve problems. And that's a half truth, right? I think it's um, Peter Drucker. It's Peter Drucker. He yeah. says, business isn't about solving problems. It's about exploiting opportunities, right? And I think that sums it up is like in your business, sometimes we get so married to our product, our service, the thing we do that we don't take that step back. Or it's like if you walk up to a wall and you're next to that wall and you're six inches away from it, you're staring straight ahead. You've got a very definite perspective. But if you walk back 90 feet from that wall, now you might be able to see that that wall is 200 feet high. It gives you a whole different perspective. And, you know, I think that's what I was fortunate and blessed to get early on to give me a different viewpoint to help connect the dots or see the blind spots or, you know, help people get unstuck because of, of these types of things. Yeah. So a few different things come to my mind. And I think this is really interesting because I've actually just kind of been looking into doing kind of a side project right now. I'm working on this irresistible offer. What's interesting is like, I guess when you look at this industry that you had worked in, one of the things you could have done, I guess, hypothetically is just sell leads to these companies. But instead you said, Hey, we'll 
we'll front the money, we'll get the leads, we'll also close them, we'll actually close the sales. We'll go through that whole process and then we'll yep. split profit. And so that's kind of sounds like it's a big difference. Like if you had just led with something like, hey, we'll sell you leads, is that something that other people were already doing? Is that the kind of thing that's just like, it's too much risk and chances are the company or the businesses that you would have been talking to already had like kind of their lead generation in place. So that's the kind of offer that just is not interesting to people. And, and I guess how important is that piece? Because the other thing that kind of makes me nervous about it, I guess that's why it's good, is that it's like, well, can we fulfill that promise from point A to point B, like lead generation all the way to the sales close effectively and where there would be profit? There's a lot of things to calculate. And I know you kind of just said that with the numbers, but I'm just curious if, in your opinion, if that's kind of the essentially kind of one of the only ways to approach something like this, or if you think that some other ways to approach it, like if you were to just sell leads, wouldn't have worked as effectively because it just didn't have that irresistible offer aspect to it. Yeah, I think back then there was a unique factor to it. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it comes back to, you know, what do our clients want? What is the big promise that is going to whet their appetite that they want? So if you have the expertise to package it up in a unique way that they just can't get anywhere else, you know, that's what, you know, Dan Sullivan talks about it. Is it, is it unique and is your place the only place they can get it? So the way we, we did it, there were other firms, Tom, that were doing what a version of what we were doing. And there were a lot of firms that were doing the feed of fish model. Like they would run the campaigns, they would run the promotions, right? And there was, you know, it was sexy to, you know, back in the nineties that you as a business would have a TV commercial, radio commercials and direct mail in your market, right? And it's still kind of sexy, <laughs> you know, today and to do it cost effectively and done right. It's actually free. I mean, done right. Any good marketing, any good advertising is free for you as, as a business owner. So if you can, if you have the talent and the capability to do those things, then it's okay. How do you package it up in a unique way? What we did, you know, which I alluded to earlier, where there were other companies that could do the TV, radio, and direct mail. What we did that was unique at that time was we would come in and assess your team and we would rate their ability to sell. So I had hired a, a programmer who had cashed in from, I believe, Apple. His name was Cyrus. He wrote us a custom software program that I had him create that would, you know, so imagine if you're the club owner and I said to you, well, not only are we going to evaluate and assess your ability to sell, influence and persuade, but also everybody on your team. Because when we're done here over the next 90 days or so, when we leave, you're going to see dramatic improvement in your team. And it's, it's going to be like they are new salespeople for you. And we're going to leave you with the training program to maintain it and continue to enhance it and bring and recruit new people in. So short version is we gave them an assessment of seven different, you know, selling categories that each staff member would take. And we would have a before picture and an after picture. So they would take the assessment when we first came in and then through our training, they would take the assessment after. <laughs> and, you know, and that's the great thing is like with weight loss right? You can see if someone loses 50 pounds, you have a before picture and an after picture. So in the business, you know, another key part about an irresistible offer is how do you provide the transformation? So as you're listening right now, whatever business you're in is what is the breakthrough? What is the transformation that you provide, right? And can provide, then how can you package it up so unique or in a unique way 
and in or in it with a unique story wrapped around it that makes you stand out as the category of one in your industry, right? Dean Jackson, Tom, as you probably know, with him and Joe Polish do I Love Marketing, and they talk about it with the idea that a, a mouse has a goal, you know, with its breakthrough to get cheese, right? And so to get cheese, what does a, a mouse have to do? They have to avoid the cat, which means they have to avoid the whiskers. So a mouse wants cheese and wants to avoid whiskers. So in our business, as we think about our end result we provide to our programs or our products or our service, how do we help our clients get a breakthrough, get the outcome, get the transformation, get the result, and avoid the friction, avoid the whiskers, avoid the pain that goes along with it. So if you can create an irresistible offer that helps them you know, get the result with avoiding the pain, then you can package some of the other pieces into it. And in many cases, you can charge overall more for your product or service. Think about what Apple's done, right? You know, first of all, they don't have 400 products. They don't have 300 products. They don't have 100 products. They've got a, a suite, a product suite of a handful of products, mainly. They give people the ability to build onto their platform, of which they basically get a small piece of all that action through their apps. But their core product suite is a handful of products themselves, and they charge premium prices, right? So we can learn a lot by just looking at, like, what does Apple do? What can we do? Uh, in our business. You know, another good example of this is Starbucks to a degree, right? Starbucks doesn't make the best coffee, right? But they charge the highest price. Now you might be listening uh, as well. They don't actually sell the most coffee because this is another business lesson. Who sells the most coffee? I believe last reports indicate that it's McDonald's, believe it or not. Why does McDonald's sell the most coffee? Because they have the greatest distribution. So if we factor a few of these key pieces in our business, Tom, what does it mean? One, think about our product suite. How can we position it to charge a premium price? Now, Apple, you know, because, you know, billion dollar brands, you know, have billion dollar budgets to do image marketing, but a grassroots entrepreneur, maybe like you, like me, like the people that I serve that we talk to frequently, you know, what you can do is you can create an irresistible offer. You can almost make it a trial up front, create such an impact and a breakthrough and a transformation for a client. And now it gives you the leverage to charge just a little bit more because you're creating the breakthrough in the experience. We're not in the business we think we're in. We're in the business of creating an experience that they can't get anywhere else. And that's, you know, I think a big differentiator, Dean Jackson, a great example. One of his businesses he builds custom websites for real estate agents, right? And there's a lot of people that do that. But his model is he'll let you try it for free. His team goes to a lot of work up front to create a customized experience. So he'll, he'll get the domain. His team will help you pick the right kind of domain that actually is a solution-oriented, transformation-oriented name, not just like Joe's website. You know, it's more like the real estate solution type thing that that really speaks to the benefit that they offer they build it you know and it's semi-templated he actually creates a lead model out of it so that if you're a real estate agent imagine if you're a real estate agent you struggle with getting leads you struggle with getting clients people who are looking to sell a home or buy a home and you meet someone like dean and his company and they build a custom website for you create a lead mechanism and literally in your first 60 days 
you have four, five, six, eight, 10, 20 qualified potential buyers through your site, what does that do for your confidence? You've probably tried other things that didn't work. You've tried other marketing techniques that didn't give you that kind of impact. And Dean creates this kind of result in short order. And he actually charges from what I understand is probably 40% more than most of the competitors that are building custom websites in that niche because he created the result in advance. So that's another key factor. Now I just covered a lot there, Tom, kind of circling around trying to pick out different lessons that, that would apply in a lot of ways. And it's part of my ADD brain. I, I freaking jump around a lot. So I apologize. <laughs> no, I like it. Cause it's like, got me thinking like, you know, I think a lot of times we as entrepreneurs kind of come at it from one vantage point. Maybe it's like the thing that we're already good at. So it's like, we apply the skill set that we have. And sometimes that's, Hey, that's how we solve problems before. But I think it's important to kind of look at, hey, is there another way to actually solve this problem, something that's bigger, better, and that would actually be more compelling for the client if you're doing client-based services or whatever that might be, whatever the end result is for the customer, whoever's buying from you, what that would look like and how you can kind of manufacture that for them. Because I think otherwise it gets kind of limited and you kind of just have your, you know, your toolbox or your toolkit of, of skills and abilities, but sometimes it's worth it to kind of expand out and say, well, hey, could I come at it from that vantage point? Like, I really like the story of custom websites for real estate agents or, or brokers, you know, because he could just go through the lead gen piece. Or in your case, it was something like that, the same, similar. It was like, let's walk through this whole process and actually close sales for you and what that would look like. And I think the big thing is that it, you really have to understand the market you go into. And like you said, it's a number crunching in the beginning. Do you have any tips on how you analyze a market and how you do that research? Well, yeah, I mean, you can pull some, you know, industry uh, specific data, right? You know, I, I'm a big uh, believer in using Google as crazy as that sounds to get access to reports and data and different things like that that are that are out there. I also, you know, one of the biggest lessons for me, Tom, is that, you know, it's really not a what or a how in business. It's more of a why and a who today for me. And as I look, you know, look at the different businesses, the different, you know, projects that I'm involved in, the different clients we work with, you know, I've been fortunate to work with clients in like 180 different niche industries, nine countries, I think it is maybe 10 now, you know, the more I do this, the more I realize it's not so much a how or a what, like when I was in my early stages of value, I was big on like, oh, well, how do you do this? And what do you do? And like, what's the strategy? There's a part of that that is true, but I think the bigger reasons is the why and what's the purpose behind it. Not to turn this into like, you know, you know, businesses about finding your passion, because I, I believe that a lot of people have been misled on that, quite frankly. And it's about a half truth. The problem is, is when you have something that's half accurate and you have bunches of people who buy it as 100% accurate, you have a lot of people who pursue their passions who end up broke. And it frustrates the heck out of me when people are chasing that specific model. So what I've discovered is the, the why is a part and the who. And what I mean by who is who in your niche is an expert. You know, Joe Polish is probably one of the greatest super connectors I've ever been around. I've been fortunate to be, you know, have Joe as a client, you know, was the outsourced or interim CEO for Joe for years very successful in Genius Network when he started it. I was the third member in Genius Network. Happily was a part of the community for five plus years. You know, now after my role uh, concluded with him in our, in our strategic partnership, we'll be a client in Genius Network. 
But Joe is probably the one person that I, in my relationships, that best demonstrates this. We all have our own version of a genius network. And if we don't, then the key is, is find the people who do. Like your, your community here, the In the Trenches family, I mean, your story, Tom, I mean, you're a guy who goes out and, and you're insatiably curious to learn and to grow. If someone is in your community and you're listening right now and you're connected to Tom, man, he's one of the greatest who's you could ever know because he knows, like all, I mean, he was hanging out with guys like Roland Frazier here a few weeks back, who's like another one of those super connectors, right? You don't have to have the answer. You don't have to have the what or the how. You have to be smart to pursue the what or the how, but guess what? You can talk to a guy like Tom and he may or may not have the what or the how, but he can go get connected to a guy like Roland Frazier, who certainly has the what or the how. Right. And, and I think I probably learned that, that who mostly, you know, as someone who leads by example with that from Joe. And I've tried to demonstrate, like when I face a problem today in business or in my personal life or in health or with my kids, one of the first things I do now is yes, I go, okay, what has to happen for this to be true? And like, how do we need to solve this problem? But then I go, okay, who is the best person I know that can help me right now? And then I reach out to my version of my genius network. And I look to seek that, that counsel, seek that advice. And that's one of the, you know, the shortcuts that as crazy as it sounds, you know, a lot of us have been taught, you know, from the time we were, you know, 10, 11 years old, it's not what, you know, it's who, you know, but nobody ever like filled in the blank of like, how do you really apply that in, in business or, you know, practical methods? Like in your world, as you're listening to me, think about in your business or in your family life, right? whatever problem or challenges you're facing right now, who in your community has access to be the very best at that thing? So you don't have to get second rate advice. You can go to the very best people in your version of your genius network or your community, your who, and find the answer, right? And here's the first place you can also start as you're, you're kind of digging in to get your own research is Google makes it easier than ever <laughs> because you've got access to all kinds of who's in one place to start that process. So anyway, you know, I don't want to oversimplify it, but the who and tapping into our own version of a genius network is just a great, uh, great way to start to solve almost any problem. You know, I, you know, Joe Polish took an adaptation from Gary Halbert. You know, Gary used to teach, you know, big direct response guru before he passed away uh, years ago. But he used to say that you can solve any problem with a sales letter, essentially, right? Any problem can be solved with a great sales letter, or sales copy. Joe, I believe, has coined the idea that any problem can be solved with the right genius network. And think about the power of that. Like, what would it be worth if you could tap into a who? You know, they are the definitive expert at that thing. And you could just simply say, well, what would you do if you were me in this situation? So those are a couple perspectives on that, Tom. And yeah. ideally that adds value to both you and your community too. <laughs> oh, I know it does. You know, I think it's it's so true, especially the who. Oh, I feel like that's with a lot of advice. It's true at like one level of analysis. And then when you dig deeper, it's like, well, wait a second. It's pretty limited. It's like, well, what do you do with those connections? And so I think that's a, just a great example. And you have to have the connections for sure. I think that's the ultimate accelerator in life. And then you have to be, I think, aware of how to leverage those connections and then be willing to when the time comes. Yeah. And the key part is, is with that, right? It's the old uh, Asian proverb, you know, dig a well before you're thirsty. So the key with nurturing those kind of relationships or even setting up those relationships, you know, if, 
when's the best time to plant a tree? It's 20 years ago. (laughs) When's the best time to start nurturing or cultivating your best genius network or your best who or your best relationships? It's today. So that, you know, in a year, two years, five years, 20 years from now, that if you need to call on somebody, like I'm fortunate that if I, if I have my own marketing problems, I can call Joe, I can call, you know, Jay Abraham, right? I can call experts like this because in small ways, I'd like to think that I've been able to add value to them. You know, therefore they'd likely pick up my call or take my email or that type of thing if I was in a jam. Right. And that's what we all have the ability to start doing is planting those seeds ahead of time so that, you know, over the long term that they start to sprout. And Joe is also, again, he's one of the best at it because he plants seeds today for something that might happen in five years. Whereas most people wait five years and then they try to go ask for the thing that they need help with, but they haven't really cultivated that seed the right way. So it's also about planting the right seeds and and taking care of those seeds over over a long period of time. I love it, Dan. Well, hey, I know we're to the top of the hour here. Where can people reach out to find you, connect with you, read more of your work or work with you? Yeah, simply, uh, you know, we have a, a series of training. We're big on education-based training. So uh, the simplest way you can see our most current up-to-date training at championbusinessblueprint.com. That's championbusinessblueprint.com our most current strategies, insights, wisdom, mostly on growing and scaling or implementing unique sales and marketing to grow and scale your leads, your sales, and your profitability. So go to championbusinessblueprint.com. You can also go uh, check out our podcast as well, Tom. Likewise, we interview a lot of different experts on a lot of different topics, primarily business topics. And uh, you can check that out at growthtofreedom.com. That's growthtofreedom.com. I love it, Dan. Well, thank you so much for being on In the Trenches with us. Man, it's been a pleasure. It's it's definitely been a pleasure. And uh, you know, I appreciate what the work that you're doing. You know, Tom, it's been awesome to get a chance to meet. I know we have uh, what Jeremy and John Corcoran to thank for yep, getting the two definitely. of us a chance to meet, right? Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I do look back and think about how my network has been so crucial and kind of connecting with the right people. And then one relationship into another and and then meeting amazing people like you and then getting you on my podcast to share with more people. Hopefully you get a great response from this. I know you will. And I'm excited uh, to hear how people respond. So if you guys like this episode, definitely reach out to Dan, let him know that you heard him on In the Trenches and make sure to share it on social. And other than that, take care.